All right, good morning. How is everyone this morning? Great. Thanks so much for Peter and Tita welcoming us. Thank you for the Wilsons sobering us, but also inspiring us to live a life that is based in the real reality, which is eternity. Thank you so much for that. And I want to thank Scott for preaching the word last week. Wherever Scott is, he's somewhere. There he is. Thank you so much for preaching. I was, and I also want to thank Abhijit for organizing him and his entourage for organizing a fantastic quiz night. That was awesome. Thank you so much. I had a great time. And in, in light of the quiz night, I am ready to preach. We also have someone visiting from Sydney, Joy, if she could stand up. Where is Joy? There she is. Welcome. Good to have you here. And Jody is back. He had surgery as a knee replacement. Could you... St- oh, not, not, not really. <laughs> That's messed up, isn't it? And my, my own surgery was a success. And there's still an inner bandage in my ear, which blocks and muffles my left side of hearing. So I get that removed on Tuesday. So if you want to encourage me, you can cue on the right. <laughs> But if you have complaints or criticisms, cue up on the left, and I'll gladly and patiently listen to those. And I don't really know how my volume sounds, so I just told Beatrice to sort it all out back there, so hopefully it comes through and it sounds good. So, amen? Awesome. Very good. So, what comes into your mind when you hear the word freedom? Braveheart, of course, the classic. But for you or for many, there's, there's probably some image or concept or definition that comes into your mind when you hear the word freedom. If you're young, it's perhaps freedom from parental control. You can't wear your hat backwards like that, but it looks so cool backwards. Maybe that's what comes into your mind. Or maybe if you're in the working world, you think freedom is 5 o'clock on Friday. It's time to party. Maybe that's what comes in to your mind. If you're married with kids and you have many kids, maybe freedom is just hiring a babysitter for three to four hours so you can have at least perhaps a conversation, you know, without being interrupted or something like that. Or maybe if you dabble in the intellectual realm or the revolutionary realm, you think freedom is being set free from the man. The man's always trying to hold me down, whatever system that may be for you. Now, the answer to this question is important because how you think about freedom in some way impacts your view or your need for God or your lack of need for God. That, that idea of freedom will shape if you really see your need for God or if you think, I don't need God. Let's pray and read our text this morning, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. God, we're so excited to, to be together and worship and look at your word, which has eternal truths and eternal reality, Father. We pray that your spirit really brings our minds to great clarity about what this passage means so that we can live it out personally and as a community of believers. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Starting in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? A kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is trying to throw you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters... If I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And in verse 12, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's a great text to end on, isn't it? What in the world is Paul talking about? And so, in, in, in this story, as we've studied out the book of Galatia, he's trying to win back, Paul, trying to win back the congregation. They've shifted their loyalty a little bit. And opponents have come in and basically said, you have to obey the law, and, and as a result, you'll need to get circumcised in order to be saved. Now, at this point, Paul writes a letter, they have not been circumcised yet. They're contemplating getting circumcised because they think if they do that, they'll be saved. And so Paul writes this letter, and there are some very strong statements in Galatians, but also in the text we just read. He says, if you do this, you have fallen away from grace. That's a very strong statement. He also says later, I am confident in the Lord you'll take no other view. In other words, if, if we all understand the gospel, then we'll align and share similar convictions on this. I'm confident in the Lord, not in my persuasive powers. I'm confident in the Lord that we'll all share this view. And then in verse 12, it's even troubling to read a verse like that publicly. I wish they would emasculate themselves. So there's, there's some very strong emotion coming out from the apostle Paul, but it all centers around freedom. And this morning, we'll look at the definition of freedom, the stance of freedom, and the action of freedom. The definition of freedom, the stance of freedom, and the action of freedom. Paul begins in verse 1 by an exclamation point for the book of Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. A fantastic verse. It's a, a focal point, mainly, of the book of Galatians. But what does Paul mean by that statement? For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
If you were to read all of Paul's letters, that concept of freedom, in some variation, turns up 46 times. So he does use it often enough, where if we read it, we can get an idea of what he's talking about. Nine times in Galatians alone, the word freedom, or some variation of freedom, pops up. And if you read through all of his letters, you get, you get two main conclusions what Paul means by freedom. First, it means that we're free from the law. When he writes about that, now what does that mean for them? In that day, it meant they were free from the Torah or the Old Testament law. But for us, it means we're free from any human effort to achieve salvation. That's what this whole circumcision bit was about. It's a human effort to achieve salvation. Paul says freedom is you're free from that law. You're free from any attempt to gain salvation on your own. And he also says, secondly, freedom is freedom from sin and death, which is what Duncan and Mary were discussing about in the community. We're free from that, and we go on to live forever. And so this, this, is, a very, this is a very important concept, because in, in Paul's view, there's these two things that we're free from. It's the law, or we're free from sin. And that's, that's Paul's view, which is the New Testament's view, which in the end of the matter is God's view. God defines freedom as being free from a law of human effort and freedom from sin and death. This is very important because whatever you think freedom is, you'll think you need to be free from that. But God says there's a bigger reality. You need to be free from human effort. You need to be free from sin. And if you believe that's true, then you'll really recognize your need for God. Now, in, in, in the Old Testament, there's these metaphors, which, which are literal pictures of slavery. When Israel goes to Egypt, they're slaves for many, many years. But then what does God do? He frees them. And that's a very significant event for the shape of of the nation. They always refer back to this exodus, say, we were slaves, but now we're free. Someone else owned them, but now God pulls them out, and he, in a sense, owns them. They are now free. And because they're free, they have the potential to become what God really wants them to become. That's what happens in the exodus. Now, if you read later in the Bible story, they go back into slavery for disobeying God. By Assyria and Babylon. And so someone else owns them again. They're enslaved once more. God in his infinite mercy comes on the scene. Rescues them. They come back to the land. And he now has the ability to shape them. As he wants to shape them. In, in both of the major events of the Old Testament. It's images about freedom. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene in the New Testament. He talks about being Set free. In fact, one of his first sermons in the Gospel of Luke says, I'm here to preach about freedom for the prisoners. And I'm here to set the oppressed free. Now, to the common crowd, they think, that's right, Jesus. The man has been holding us down. We can't wait for five o'clock. We can't wait to be financially free. We can't wait. Someone is always holding us down. And Jesus says, I'm here to set you free. But he didn't start any social revolution. He couldn't have meant that. Jesus says, I'm here to set you free from sin. 
And I'm here to set you free from the law of human effort. And so genuine freedom from God is free from those things. Free from law, free from sin and death. You know, from a non-Christian point of view, how you think about freedom eventually might clash with how God defines freedom. Because the world and our culture defines freedom in a very different way. And the interesting thing is it always kind of shifts the definition of freedom. If you look through Greek literature initially, they thought freedom meant political freedom. Which they associated with freedom of speech, which is still a big thing today. And they said, in order to be free, we need to have great politics and great structures, and, and that'll help us be free. And so they emphasized politics. Later, throughout the, the shift, at some point it becomes, no, freedom actually is more about me being able to make my own decisions. And not needing any outside input, kind of withdrawing in order to freely find myself. I mean, that, that, that shows up today and a lot of, I, I'm free to do whatever I want and you can't impede on my freedom. Right? You've probably heard that narrative or you've probably thought that or you've talked to someone who has thought that. Now, I'd, I'd like just for us to think about a society that lived by that principle. As long as I'm free and not harming anyone, then it's Okay. Because that, to be honest, that's the way some people view freedom, right? As long as I'm not harming anyone else, you can't tell me what to do, I'm free. In other words, everyone can do as they see fit. They don't have to listen to anyone, but just imagine a society like that. Because the, the, the concept goes, as long as I don't harm anyone, right? Now the flaw in that is, how do we define what's harmful? Yeah. Because then we, we start talking about some concept of what's right and wrong, which is a faith matter. But if, for instance, someone says, if a man views pornography, that's not harming anyone. He's only harming himself. That may be one view. But a counter view may say, well, actually, I disagree. I think if he views pornography, then it affects the way he interacts and talks with people, specifically women. So you've got two competing views, so how are we to talk about what's harmful for one another? So if, if a society lives by that principle, it's chaotic. Because nobody agrees on what harms each other, right? And, and the, the reason I say that is that, that's the way the world defines freedom. God says, no, you need to be free from the law. You need to be free from sin. For Christians, it, it means that we no longer have to attempt to achieve salvation on our own. Yeah. And Scott talked at length about that last Sunday. We're free from any human effort trying to gain salvation. It's what Mary referred to in her reflections on the communion. There's nothing we can do to be accepted by God. God has done all the work through Jesus. And it also means we're free from sin. From any bitterness or cynicism or guilt or shame or whatever it is, it's important how you define freedom. Because how you view that depends on your need for God or your lack of need for God. But Paul writes to the Galatians, which is God's point of view as well, we have been set free from Christ. And the definition means you're free from the law and you're free from sin. Secondly, the stance of freedom 
in verses 1, it's, it's really one sentence in the original language, and it's inverted. It starts in the Greek, stand firm because Christ has set you free. But they, they invert it in the NIV. But the, the overall flavor is like, be strong because you're free. You've been freed. Now live like it. Paul comes to the region of Galatia. We've talked about it. He goes to several churches. He preaches. He plants those churches. And they all become Christian. He leaves. And then another group comes in. And they start preaching a different gospel. And that's what he refers to in verse 7. Who cut in on you? You were running a good race. This is the the athletic imagery. You know, you you guys were doing well. Who, Who jumped in front of you in this race? He also says in verse 8, that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. So, somebody's been persuading you. Somebody's been trying to get you off track. Compared to Paul, these guys might have sounded more polished, more persuasive, more professional. And when they heard that argument, they said, yeah, Paul Paul was good, but these guys really know what they're talking about. And Paul says that that kind of persuasion doesn't come from God. You guys need to stand firm. You're free. Don't go back to slavery by trying to obey the law. And then in verse 9, he says, A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now in this passage, that little yeast, it it could specifically mean this this little subtle change in their teaching. It's going to have a major impact if they obey it. A little yeast, guy, he said, you, you know, it may not sound like a big deal to get circumcised. You may just think it's a simple act, but it can have profound change. And, and that concept in verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole dough, basically says that there's, there's subtle, slight, and even small changes that can substantially alter our faith. A little yeast works through the whole dough. And Paul, the only other time he uses this phrase or proverb is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. And he says this to the church in Corinth. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know? A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. What was going on in Corinth? They had an attitude about a brother in their church who was sleeping with his mother-in-law And instead of asking him to go sort himself out, they said, we understand him so much, we love him so much, we're just going to keep him in our fellowship. Paul says, ask him to leave. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Alright, and so the, the, the only two times he used this phrase, but they're interesting because he connects how people act eventually to their theology. What's going on in Corinth? They think, oh, we're so loving, we're so loving, we love this guy. But then later in 1 Corinthians 15, their theology is all screwed up. And he says, let me correct your theology about the resurrection. A little yeast, a little bit of change, slight and subtle, eventually affected their theology. In Galatians, it's the opposite. Their theology is starting to change and they think, oh, we need, we need to get circumcised. And, but then in Galatians 5, later, he starts addressing their lifestyle. So either way, a little change in your theology eventually will loosen up your lifestyle. A little loosening of your lifestyle will eventually corrupt your theology. 
And so Paul said, there's a little bit of yeast, but you guys got to stand firm. You got to have some kind of boundaries. Yes, you're free, stand firm. But these people are trying to persuade you. And it's just little and it's slight and it's subtle, but it will substantially alter your faith. And, and, and Paul knows, he says, who cut, on, who cut in on you? you? You were running a good race. It's not like he's asking for names and addresses. Who was it? Let me, you know, he, he knows. Ultimately, behind it all is Satan. He knows that. Martin Luther has a commentary on this passage. And I asked Olaf how to pronounce this word because he, Martin Luther calls Satan... I can't say it all off. Come on up, bro. I asked him to come up and pronounce this. I said, how, what is this? And, and so he did. He, he knew how to pronounce it and it's translation. Tausend Künstler. One more time. Tausend Künstler. Tausend All right. Thank you, Olaf. That's Olaf are from Germany there. But, but what, what is that? Tausend Künstler is a juggler with a thousand tricks. That's what he calls Satan. You know, watch this ball. Let me show you a little flash here. A little flash there. Let me wow you. I'm a little sideshow. And then I'll suddenly corrupt your faith. And that's, and that's what this group is doing. Paul says, you guys have been saved by grace. And they come in and they say, but watch this. Let me give you a nice presentation. The law's good. We all need the law. Maybe even some circumcision in there. And they're going to corrupt their faith. And, and so Paul knows this. It's, and, and, and we see this even today, like the slightest deviation. The slightest deviation in Christian faith can alter profoundly people's faith. So to stand firm, we have to have some kind of boundary to protect freedom, right? You just can't let everything in. So how does this work out in our everyday life? The stance of freedom. We need to have firm stances on doctrine. You know, like the Bible describes how people become Christians. The Bible describes we're saved by faith. But the Bible also says we're, we're, we're saved by this grace. And so just a little bit of moralism eventually can turn you into a Pharisee. That's that little yeast working through the dough. A little, a little bit of deviation in the theology and we think everybody's okay. I mean, eventually God will save everyone. Little, little slight, subtle changes in, in theology. And we see this in people's lives when they start to kind of get enlightened in their theology. And then they start drifting from the body because they, they think, oh, I can be whatever. But that's what happens. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. We also see this when our lifestyle so we have to take strong stances in our lifestyle as well because that can corrupt our theology like in Corinth. You know, there's, there's always a coincidence when people start living worldly and eventually what do they start saying? Oh, I'm not sure if I believe in God anymore. Yeah. Really? It's, it's because your life, it, a little yeast works. We have to take strong, we have to stand firm on our lifestyle. We have to stand firm in our doctrine. It also means that the Christian life is a marathon, <laughs> right? Stand firm. We got to start well and we got to finish well. Personally, as a church and, and, and as a movement for that matter. And, and if you've been around our church, you, you know the history of our, of our movement. And, and at times we've stood firm and at times we've made mistakes. And, and 
Sadly, some people still view our church as it was 15 years ago. We have grown up a little bit. It's similar to when an adult knows a child and they see that child grow up. But when they see them grown up, they say, I remember you, Gillen, I remember you. I don't remember you, but, um, but you know, you see this happen. We say, I knew you when you were five years old and they can't get that picture of that five-year-old kid out of their mind. And now the kid is 25 and, and they think, you know what? You're still the, no, they're completely different. They're an adult now. They've grown up. They've changed tremendously. Right? And, and so we have, to, we have to stand firm in, in all these things. But we, all, we also have to say, hey, our church has grown quite a bit. In the last 15 years, we went from telling people what to do. And last year, we had a global international discussion inviting everyone's input. If you have something that you think will help our church, tell us. And we did this presentation. Last year, we said, hey, let, let us know about it. So I think we've grown up. Yeah. We got a long way to go, okay? We're, you know, we got a long way to go. But we won't be there without standing firm doctrinally and standing firm in our lifestyles. And Paul is aware of all these external pressures, but he also knows whatever his name is, Olaf, <laughs> Tausendkunstler. Satan is always trying to rock up to you. Yeah. Juggling. Work harder. Work harder. Work hard. It's, it's all about working hard. It's all about human effort. Live looser. Live looser. Paul says, stand firm. Lastly, the action of freedom. Paul doesn't just say we're, we're free, so do what you want. Live as you want. But there is some action involved. I would like to address verse 12 briefly because that's such a wild passage. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. What, what in the world is going on there? So in Asia Minor, there is mystery cults that some people might have been converted from that joined Christianity. And so part of this mystery cult, there was a goddess named Cybele, C-Y-B-E-L-E. And, and so she had like a cult of followers. And these guys, the priests of this mystery cult, they would come and they would emasculate themselves. And then they would drink the blood, and they thought that earned them salvation. Yeah, it's pretty gross, pretty graphic. But, but that's what, and so Paul's saying, look, you know, these guys that are telling you to get circumcised, they're no better than these stinking mystery cult guys. Why don't they just do what they're doing if they think that's what earns them salvation? I wish they'd go the whole way. That, that's craziness, okay? Yeah. Now, that's not permission to go around and say, man, bro, why don't you just, you know. <laughs> that, but, but, but Paul is like so consumed with helping these guys, you can feel it come out in his tone. And he says, you guys have missed it. Man, I, I, and all throughout the letter, you feel, I, I love you guys so much. Don't go that way. You're my, you're my dear children. I feel like a, a, a woman trying to have a, a, a child. That's what he says, right? I, I love you guys so much. And so what... What's happening here is that Paul says it's, it's not about what they're talking about. In verse 6 is what it's all about. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Previously, it used to be about circumcision. It's not, that, it's not about that anymore. It's about faith expressing itself through love. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? What does Paul mean by that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love? That word expressing is the word where we get the English word energy, energeo, in the, in the Greek. And so it means that there's some 
tangible activity. There's something being done. There's something you can see. And so you say you have faith. Well, it has to be tangible through your love. There has to be something there that you can't just believe, but not really put it into practice. But there is something tangible that's, that's seen in our faith. And so the contrast, though, is before it used to be about the law. And now Paul says, really, the only thing that counts is the way you show love through your relationships. There's, there's a relational aspect to the gospel that if you get it, you understand the grace that's been given you and your love for people grows more, you start to connect more and more to people. And that's what really counts. Is it's not about obeying these rules and these regulations. It's about God's energy working in you to love people. And, and you really see this clearly in Paul's life. In his missionary journeys, but I tell you what, especially with the church in Galatia, they've shifted their loyalty from Paul to his opponents. I find that extremely challenging. If I come to church next week and the entire membership abandons ship and says, now we're following so-and-so, and our loyalty is there, I would... I don't know if I'd have what Paul had and says, Paul, but no, no, let me win you back. I love you so much. That child, that's very challenging. Yeah. When people shift loyalties, Paul is still trying to plead with them, still trying to love them. And he's going great lengths to help them become like Christ. What's interesting is that same concept is supremely evident in Jesus. Think about human race. Boy, they've shifted loyalties. Think about all the characters in the Old Testament. They shifted loyalties. Think about the Jewish nation. They shifted. Think about Jesus' disciples. Think about Peter. Think about them all abandoned. They shifted their loyalties. And what does Jesus do? That same exact word Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted. Jesus, the energy that Jesus had, it was very tangible when on the cross. So the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Here is the supreme example of faith working through love. The entire human race has shifted their loyalties. And God says, Jesus says, I'm trying to win you back. That's the action of freedom. Faith expressing itself through love. Supremely demonstrated on the cross. I think if we all woke up and had this, we, our, our relationships would be deep and thick. And, and Paul has a lot of foresight and insight into this church in Galatia. He says, look, guys, think about what you're going to do. And I think loving people, have, it involves a bit of foresight to see the implications of what they're about to do. Paul says, I love you guys. Look, here's what's going to happen. If you do get circumcised, you have to obey the whole law. You'll be alienated from Christ. And you really fall away from grace. That's, that's what's going to happen. I want you to really, really think about that. I want you to reflect on that. I want you to contemplate that. And that, that's kind of love, helping people see the bigger picture. Those in spiritual peril can't see past their nose. And Paul says, look, look what you're about to do. This is, this is faith expressing itself through love. If you jump off this cliff, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> That's basically what Paul's saying. They haven't done it yet, but he's loving them to try to help them. 
And ultimately, he can warn them as much as he can, but they have their own choice. In verse 1 and verse 2 and 3, it says, Don't let yourselves, anyone who lets himself. So he pours out this big argument, but he says, Don't let yourself. In other words, I, I can only do so much. I can plead. I can persuade. I can pray. But in the end, it's your decision. I can't force you to do anything. But I love you enough. This is my faith in action. I think it's a call for all of us to really reflect and consider our relationships. And, and just generally, is our faith expressing itself through love? We're called to sincere love for one another. One of the major hurdles for this is apathy. Isn't it? Apathy. I don't know. I, don't, I just don't care. Well, Paul says the only thing that counts is this, this deep kind of love that Christ displayed on the cross. In closing, freedom... Is a big deal to Paul, to the New Testament, to God. The goal of the Christian life, according to Paul, is freedom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. A freedom not defined by the world, or by culture, or by society, but freedom defined by God. And so, brothers and sisters, it is, like Paul says, for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now let us all embrace and align with this freedom so we can become who God wants us to become. It's a freedom that calls us to stand firm. It's a freedom that calls us to love one another as Jesus loved us. Amen. Amen.